Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today on CityCast Madison. Abortion access for Wisconsinites just got more confusing. We've got this 1800s-era abortion ban on the books, so folks are driving to other states or ordering pills online. But now there's a national fight over access to one of the core abortion drugs. A Texas court moved to ban the drug, and if they win, few people will have access to that drug anywhere. Meanwhile, Wisconsin Attorney General Josh Call is still fighting the 1849 ban in court, and it seems headed to our Supremes. Michelle Velasquez, Director of Legal Services and Advocacy for Planned Parenthood in Wisconsin, brings us up to speed. It's Monday, April 17th. I'm Bianca Martin, and here's what Madison's talking about. Michelle, hello. Hi, good morning. We're so grateful that you're here because there's a lot to suss out. Um, There's been a flurry of court activity this past week on this issue, specifically around, um, you know, mail ordered pills that can, you know, offer abortions. Uh, A court of appeals has weighed in saying that the abortion drug Mifepristone is still legal for the moment while the courts fight it out. Um, But they want to restrict the mail order access. And how would that work? What would that look like? Yeah, so there, you're right, there's been a flurry of court action. Two competing decisions came out. One of those decisions came out from a federal court in the state of Texas, where a single judge basically said the FDA's approval of mifepristone um, is stayed. And mifepristone has been been in use for t- almost 23 years. It's been researched. The and state means stopped. Like yeah, paused, state means yeah. stopped. Yeah, we're paused. That's right. Um, and the research and the science and the medical community, you know, wholly agrees that this drug is safe. It's effective. The FDA has actually started rolling back or loosening some of their restrictions on and regulations around mifepristone because it is so incredibly safe. And it is the way by which about 54% of all people who have an abortion do it. You know, that's, that's nationally. And so this is, you know, in my estimation, just really politically motivated. It's not grounded in science. It's not grounded in, in medicine and research. Um, the use of mifepristone has made abortion more accessible for people nationally. And so what this case does is potentially not just restrict access in banned states for people, you know, like Wisconsinites who might be using some online resources, it's also going to have a huge impact on the accessibility of medication abortion in states where abortion has remained safe and legal. It's kind of a, a an underhanded way of restricting abortion, even in places that have decided to maintain abortion services. Right. And so that that first case um, that came out to stay the, the drug was basically saying, 
this drug isn't safe. Hey, 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 FDA, you push this through too fast. We don't know that this is safe. So we're putting a stay that it's not something that's accessible. Another lawsuit came forward. Can you talk about that? Sure. So um, the second lawsuit uh, was filed by the Washington State Attorney General, and um, he was joined by um, 16 other states in the District of Columbia. So there's 18 plaintiffs altogether, and they sued the FDA to basically say, actually, your restrictions are too broad. This is safe. You should remove some of those restrictions. And court, the relief we want is for you to basically enjoin the FDA from removing mifepristone from the market or changing anything about its availability. So we have a court in Texas saying, no, this um, approval is stayed And then we have another court saying FDA do not remove this drug from the market or make it unavailable. Uh, However, the Washington district court's order is only enforced in the 17 plaintiff states in the District of Columbia. This is unprecedented. So the situation is really changing every day. And uh, tons of lawyers are sort of trying to figure out, you know, what what is the FDA going to do? What does this mean for providers? Because really, both of the court orders um, tell the FDA to do or not do something. Right. So they're like, uh, and they're trying to satisfy both. And so, and now the su- Supreme Court's entered the building. We, you know, we're likely going to hear from them. Um, but I understand the next action that happened was, you know, the court in Texas, the appeals court said, okay, it's, it's legal for now, but we're going to restrict mail access. Right. And so what would that look like? I mean, I just don't understand. That's what I'm not getting is like, are, are people going to be checking my mail? <laughs> you know, like how would that even work functionally? The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals um, weighed in because the uh, FDA, the Department of Justice, appealed to the Fifth Circuit. And what they wanted the Fifth Circuit to do was totally stay or suspend the enforcement of that Texas district court's order while this all gets resolved. Um, so the Fifth Circuit granted that in part by just basically saying, well, sorry, uh, plaintiffs in Texas, it's too late to undo that initial approval of mifepristone. Um, So mifepristone remains approved. So it sort of reverts back to the regulations as they existed um, at the time of the initial approval. Um, And so in practical terms, if manufacturers can't ship it in the mail. I don't really know how they, you know, what's going to happen. And it might sound like that's what's the big deal. But we have to remember that not all states have providers, you know, in in every county. Um, Wisconsin, for example, only had um, abortion services in three counties prior to Dobbs, Milwaukee, Dane, and Sheboygan. That's like around 60% of all people in Wisconsin who can give birth who did not live in a county with abortion services. And so those folks would have to travel distances. Um, We have, you know, patients in states where there's zero access who um, are traveling very long distances. So even though abortion is banned here, it's legal to order pills online. So the laws related to medication abortion and the way that providers um, did that or gave that service prior to jobs Um, did require the physician to be present when the medication was handed to the patient. It required um, a physical exam. It required that only a physician 
could prescribe the medication. Wisconsin law prohibited the use of telemedicine. It required a 24-hour waiting period. So medication abortion was heavily regulated in Wisconsin, and there were very restrictive statutes. Um, It is never a crime at this point in Wisconsin. There's no crime for a pregnant person to end their own pregnancy. So a person, you know, who seeks pills, uh, medication abortion pills online through, you know, a different provider, you know, maybe like an overseas provider, that pregnant person cannot be charged with a crime for ending their own pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like the legal onus around abortion is on the doctor and not so much the the patient or someone who would seek their own, you know, methods. Yeah, that that's right. So, um, and that that is true of those medication abortion regulations that you know were the prevailing law, the laws that Planned Parenthood um, adhered to prior to Dobbs. And when we were providing med- medication abortions, it had to be a doctor in person. All of those things. And so, something to keep in mind um, is that the, that statute was pretty clear that only a doctor could give the medication to a person and that if somebody violated that law, it would be a class I felony. So while it's not a criminal onus on the pregnant individual, um, there is some potential criminal liability for like a friend or family member who is, you know, obtaining and providing uh, the medication for somebody. Oh, interesting. Y'all, there is a truly special opportunity coming this month. The Harry Whitehorse International Wood Sculpture Festival is running from June 14th through the 22nd. And it's a first of its kind week-long celebration of contemporary and traditional wood sculpture and indigenous culture. It's named after the world-renowned Ho-Chunk sculptor and painter who lived in Monona, the late Harry Whitehorse. And it will be hosted at the iconic San Damiano Park, right on the shores of Lake Monona. The fest is inviting 12 international sculptors from countries like Peru, Germany, Ukraine, and more for a week-long artist-in-residence. And it will host demonstrations of live sculpture and Ho-Chunk arts and crafts, such as black ash basketry, porcupine quill art, and finger weaving. Plus, they've got live music and food. Plan your visit and learn more at harrywhitehorse.com festival. Kids are our future, right? And we all want to make sure that future is bright. That's why making sure that their bodies, minds, and characters are strong. Luckily, KidStrong coming to Sun Prairie might just be the answer. KidStrong is a national franchise that uses a science-based training program that focuses on character, physical, and brain development through weekly 45-minute age-based classes. And a pair of Sun Prairie parents are opening a new KidStrong location at Prairie Lake Shopping Center. Instruction is led by world-class certified coaches, and kids are taught everything from the importance of shaking hands to how to do a pull-up correctly. And 77% of parents in the program credit KidStrong with boosting their children's self-confidence. Interested? You can call or text 608-369-8866 or visit their social media at KidStrong Sun Prairie to learn more. The program opens in the next few weeks, and you can save money by registering today. Common pill abortion involves two drugs. 
Um, mm-hmm. And one that we've been talking about is in jeopardy. Blue states are stocking up on the other. And so we're talking about mifepristone. Yeah, a- absolutely. So there's, you know, the recommended course for a treatment for an abortion by medication is mifepristone followed by mesoprostol. Mesoprostol is um, in abortion. It's sort of an off-label use. It's actually a drug that's used commonly in for people with ulcers and some other diseases. Same thing with mifepristone is largely used for abortions. It can be used for miscarriage management and other obstetric gynecological needs as well. So, you know, this isn't just for what people sort of have in their mind. You know, abortion just means the ending of a pregnancy for any reason. It's a medical procedure that can be done by medication or by a a procedure, right? Mm -hmm. A clinic procedure. Is it possible that misoprostol, which is the second medicine, that that could also be banned by judges? Yeah, you know, I, I think that people certainly would be, it would be fair to be concerned about um, whether or not there'd be restrictions on, restrictions on the use of misoprostol, um, because it does have other uses outside of reproductive care. I'm not sure that it would be banned. But at this point in time, frankly, I don't put anything past the anti- abortion um, movement to try to restrict people's access to the things that make abortion services safe and easy for people and accessible for people. And this is unprecedented for the FDA. Like this is pushing the limits of, of, of basically where a court's um, what place they have in terms of deciding what the FDA's work is and what, you know, in terms of their processes of deciding what medication is safe and that sort of thing. This is all new territory. This is absolutely new territory. And so I think that like, you know, these decisions uh, from the higher courts are going to have massive implications in the future, not just in reproductive health care, but potentially things like gender affirming care and other, you know, anything that people are finding sort of controversial, so to speak, um, and what power a court, a single district court one judge can have over a federal agency that has been charged with vetting and deciding and has its own rules and regulations around vetting um, medication. We can talk about like vaccines. There's just a whole host of things that the FDA does and has, you know, up until now the authority to do. And so. And these seem like political actions, like you said in the beginning. And so that's pretty concerning um, about what's happening and what impacts that could have down the line. Is it illegal for insurance companies to pay for medical abortions for Wisconsin patients, even if they happen in another state? So Wisconsin state Medicaid can not pay for abortions at all, whether it's an in-clinic procedure or medication. So Medicaid recipients cannot receive any abortion services through their insurance unless they meet um, one of these exceptions. So Wisconsin Medicaid does have to pay for an abortion in cases of rape or incest or to save the life or protect the health of the pregnant person. The same is true for folks who buy their insurance on the marketplace, the Affordable Care Act. So people who are buying marketplace insurance are likewise prohibited from using their insurance for medication, abortion, or any abortion services for that matter. Financially, it's a burden and its uh, cost has been historically a barrier for people in receiving abortion services. And medication abortion, which um, is used in the, you know, within the first 11 weeks of pregnancy is a much more economical and accessible way for people to, to have an abortion. 
Um, and once you get into having getting later in gestation and having to do in clinic abortions, the cost increases. Yeah, I I feel like it's really worth pointing out the fact that just because, you know, more or less abortions have been made illegal, it doesn't mean that they're not still happening. And the fact that, um, you know, all of the more confusion and things that are happening in the court system, um, I feel like that's really important to point out. I agree. And I think that's by design. So whenever confusion and there's no clarity or there's um, a little bit of chaos, you know, with different court decisions coming, coming out, this is all sort of by design, right, to keep people from knowing what they are able to access or increasing barriers to accessing um, this really important care. So this is um, definitely not by accident. Well, the Supreme Court is about to weigh in, right? And maybe add some clarity or at least some clarity about what's what happens next. What are some of the options of what they might do? You know, they could stay the district court's order and say, you know, everything should revert to the law as it existed prior to the, the court's order while this case proceeds more on its merits. Um, they could take the case totally up and say, we're going to, we want people to brief um, and make some decisions. They could make some decisions around the FDA's authority. So I, yeah. I'm not sure. They may just, um, they, they w- will likely have an opportunity to stay the district courts, the, the Texas district courts order. And if, that does get stayed or suspended, then we would go back to mifepristone being an approved drug and all of the loosening of restrictions would be also, you know, sort of back, back in play. Yeah. Well, lots of moving pieces here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And, you know, meanwhile, can you briefly, before we let you go, what's happening with the attempts to overturn Wisconsin's um, abortion ban? Thank you for asking. Um, I think it's really important. You know, I know that these methapristone cases are confusing and there's so much going on. There's so much action going on. They don't have as big of a practical impact today in Wisconsin um, because Wisconsin is a state that is not providing abortion services um, outside of the emergency um, to save the life context. So the attorney general's case is scheduled for oral argument on May 4th then the court would make a decision. And if the court um, agrees with the attorney general and the intervening physician plaintiff's um, arguments, the court would then order or hold that the 1849 ban is not in force and likely grant the physician's request for an injunction, a permanent injunction against its in- the enforcement of that law. And so if there is a court order like that, abortion services at Planned Parenthood of Wisconsin would resume on that basis. A permanent injunction meaning decision? Deci- yeah, meaning a decision from that court. Now that's a, that's a circuit court case, so that can be appealed. And so the losing party could absolutely file an appeal in the Court of Appeals. But this case is very likely to make its way up to the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Do you have an expectation of like a timeline for all of that? So I, I don't have an expectation for a timeline, particularly on the appeals part of it, but I would anticipate that within the next um, maybe six months at the most, the circuit court would have a decision. But I will just add, like, this is just one sort of step in what is very likely to be a long 
legal battle in Wisconsin because this case would restore access potentially if it's successful, but it doesn't enshrine any right to an abortion. You know, there's nothing that says it's a constitutional right. Um, We don't have a constitutional amendment. So there's really a lot more work to be done to to protect abortion Mm -hmm. um, care for the long term in Wisconsin so that we don't have a back and forth with changing uh, whiplash about administrations or, you know, people in in the state legislature. So, well, Michelle, your legal expertise is is very, very key here. And these are moving pieces going back and forth, um, but have serious impacts on people's lives and health. Well, thank you. Happy to be here. That's Michelle Velasquez, lawyer for Planned Parenthood. We'll be watching the story closely as it develops in the coming weeks and months. So do stay tuned with us here on CityCast Madison. And here's what else Madison's talking about. The Brink Lounge is closing. Madison's Brink Lounge on East Wash, which shares the same roof as the High Noon Saloon, is closing its doors at the end of the month on April 30th. That's coming fast, so be sure to make your way over there before if you're a fan. Speaking of venue spaces, this Friday, April 21st, Madison indie duo Seesaw is back on the scene with a new record release show at the Majestic Theater on King. There will also be three other great local acts. I expect it'll be a strong night of local tunes. We'll share a link. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Bianca Martin. If you enjoy the show, why not tell a doctor in your life to subscribe to our podcast? We'll be back tomorrow morning with more stories from around the city. Until then, be kind. <laughs>